electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Inflation Nation, the psychology of rising prices when basically everything you need to buy is more expensive. And the T word, lots and lots of the T word. Are you in the transitory camp? But transitory doesn't mean a month or two. Oh, for sure. Tax loopholes of the ultra rich is the only way to fix a broken billionaire system, a wealth tax. CNBC's Robert Frank. The provisions that allowed Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, and others to pay zero income taxes in certain years are actually used by millions of other Americans. And progress on racial diversity in corporate boardrooms and corporate goals. Sherilyn Eiffel of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. This is now a mainstreamed conversation about corporate responsibility when our democracy is in crisis. It's Friday, June 11th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. Let's take a look at the U.S. We start today with inflation and it's showing up in price tags. Yesterday, the Consumer Price Index release showed a 5% rise in May compared to a year prior. That's the highest gain since the summer of 2008. A third of the increase, a third, was attributed to a sharp jump in used car and truck prices. Now, various officials of the Federal Reserve have used the same word to describe the current period of inflation. Transitory, meaning brief, not going to last a long time, but maybe a bumpy period due to pent-up consumer demand. And hey, it's a world away from last year, when the economy was mostly shut down as COVID gripped the country. Even with this transitory inflation, the Fed seems unlikely to speed up any easing on their market-supporting policy. But if you're paying more at the pump, at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, does it matter to your wallet how temporary everyone says this is? Christina Partsinevelis joins us right now. She's got more on that front. And Christina, it's definitely costing more just to go about your daily routine. Which is why I'm here to break down a hypothetical day for you, because we know increased demand along with supply issues are pushing up prices to levels we haven't seen since 2008. So in order to prepare you for any sticker shock, let's break down what maybe an average day would mean and what it would mean for your wallet. So you walk over to your favorite coffee shop to get a latte. You skip out on the extra sugar and pumps and oat milk because the average gourmet coffee drink is $4.85, up 8% compared to last year. You then go buy some orange juice, which is up 21% in the past two years due to tighter supplies in the United States and Mexico. Your significant other is a milk drink drinker, so you grab that, which is up almost 5% this year. After you drop off your groceries, you start searching for flights to Las Vegas. You want to gamble some of your Dogecoin wins. According to Hopper, domestic airfare prices are expected to rise a total of 16% heading into the summer, peaking in late June. You're thankful you can walk the Vegas Strip by foot because rental car prices are 95% from the start of the year to average $99 a day. 
you're frustrated with the prices, so you call your good old friend Gregory Daco or Daco from Oxford Economics and ask if inflation is going to be a problem going forward. Inflation is a feature of this recovery, not a bug. And essentially, it reflects this imbalance between uh, this very strong demand uh, from consumers and businesses um, and a gradually responding supply to that very strong demand. And as there is this mismatch between very strong demand and gradually accelerating supply, there are pockets of price pressures. You realize companies have to pass on some of those higher costs, but you hope these increases are only a temporary byproduct of the pandemic or transitory, like the economists and the Fed like to say, or else you'll have no savings left to gamble away once you hit Sin City. Becky? Christina, your average day sounds a little more exciting than my average day. Um, but, but seriously, going around finding things, have there been areas where you have noticed it more than others? Um, I think in the terms of meat prices, especially bacon, bacon being up 13% compared to last year, uh, you're seeing uh, fish prices almost 2% higher. But this seems like a lot of people are going with the notion that this is not going to last forever. It's just because of a lot of pent-up demand uh, from the pandemic. However, you have Campbell's, Starbucks, uh, and so many others, Smuckers talking about price increases in the coming months. And how often do companies increase their prices and then decrease them? Not very often. Chipotle, too. We've talked about that. Yes. Christina, thank you. Great to see you. Okay, so I'm drinking my coffee, Becky, right now. But are you in the, because we didn't get to talk yesterday, are you in the transitory camp or are you now getting more into the permanent camp? Look, I think there's two tracks. I I don't know which one is going to be the more dominant. There, There are certainly things that are transitory. If you're looking at delays in shipping, other issues, that will eventually work its way out. But if you're looking at things, um, you know, where food prices have gone up, where wages have gone up, that kind of works its way in, that, that's not transitory. Once wages go up and once those prices are passed on to consumers in higher prices that they pay at the counter or at the pump or anywhere else, I mean, those don't wind back as quickly. If, if you're raising right. prices to your customers because you are paying higher wages, that's not going to get rolled back. Right. The wage piece isn't, but I, I was looking at the airline piece. Obviously, a lot of people mm-hmm. trying to go out for the first time, get out of their house. I was even thinking of the coffee piece because, of course, I'm drinking my coffee. I think a lot of people drink a lot of coffee during the last year, but I do think people are, you know, you, you probably read the story yesterday about Starbucks. I yeah. mean, just how the demand for, for things and, and just the supply chain issues that so many of them are having. So I don't know. You know I don't know it's where It's going to be transitory for some of those issues, but transitory doesn't mean a month or two. We are talking about transitory when it comes to oh, shortages with sure. cars and things that happen with that, at least the rest of this year, very likely into the beginning of next year. So... You could talk about transitory, and the Fed is certainly patient, um, but I think consumers may be a little less patient when you start seeing those prices continue. If you're waiting to buy a car because you're waiting for prices to come back down, that's not happening anytime soon because the chip shortage is not getting resolved anytime soon. Right. A group of 10 Democratic and Republican senators have reached an agreement on infrastructure. Um, A Democrat, uh, Kristen Sinema, said that the plan would be fully paid for and not include tax increases. Details weren't revealed, but reports say the plan would cost about $1.2 trillion over eight years. That's below the $1.7 billion or trillion dollars price tag, I should say, that uh, President Biden uh, had uh, put in place. Um, Other members of the bipartisan group include Senators Bill Cassidy, Joe Manchin, Mitt Romney, Rob Portman, and Mark Warner, party leaders still need to sign off, and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell was briefed this week and is apparently open to the idea, according to Senator Romney. But it's unclear if the package will be comprehensive enough to win support from the White House and Democratic leaders in Congress. 
Yeah, juggling this just about every day. And I would say if there was sort of a running line on this, I'd, I'd love to see the Vegas bookies, what, they, what their running line is on this getting passed, because I have to say it seems like the odds change just about every day. Tesla actually began deliveries of its new Model S Plaid last night, kicked off with a live stream event at the company's test track near its factory in Fremont, California. CEO Elon Musk had promised that the car would be faster than Porsche, but safer than Volvo, and bragged last night that it delivers acceleration from zero to 60 miles an hour in under two seconds. He said production should be at 1,000 cars a week starting next quarter. We've got to show that an electric car is the best car, hands down. You know? So it's got to be clear. It's like, man, this is uh, sustainable energy cars. It can be the fastest cars, can be the safest cars, uh, can be the most kick-ass cars in every way. Um, and that, and that's, that's why we did the Plaid. The car's interior includes a steering yoke instead of a traditional steering wheel and an entertainment display system for rear passengers. Maybe emphasis on the rear passengers there. You can't watch this in the front seat. But I think if you're going that fast, you probably don't even want to look at the, you know, we're watching a monitor in the back seat. I mean, maybe the kids yeah, do, but I think it would be so life. exciting to be going that fast, you'd want to be looking out the window. Zero to 60 in two I, seconds is kind of hard to imagine. I'd like to, it's I a mean, little crazy. I mean, ludicrous mode is one thing. I felt that. And you feel, yeah. you feel the, um, you know, the, the, the G's <laughs> on your body. It's real. By the way, what do you think of this yoke? Um, it's kind of cool. Th- this yoke steering wheel? Because they're, they're now going to put it also, I believe, in the SUV version. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel. Don't, when you, when I, you drive, do you ever drive with one hand and do the, you do, do the hand like this? Sure. Because you can't do that with a yoke. Two hands on the wheel at all times? Exactly. Up next, the shockingly low tax paid by the wealthiest Americans. It's a story we brought you earlier this week. CNBC's Robert Frank says the means to that end, tax strategies available to all. Bottom line here, without a wealth tax, quote, fixing the billionaire tax problem is not likely. Squawk Pod is back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. The billionaires in the ProPublica report didn't use complicated strategies to shrink their tax bills. For the most part, they used plain vanilla deductions. And Robert Frank is here with a look at why any fix, quote unquote, won't really be that easy a fix. Robert? Good morning, Andrew. Well, it is being called billionaire tax avoidance, but the provisions that allowed Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, and others to pay zero income taxes 
in certain years are actually used by millions of other Americans. The first is investment losses, the ProPublica article revealing that Jeff Bezos paid zero federal income taxes for two years. That's because his investment income or his income was offset by investment losses. Day traders, everyday investors, people who have retirement accounts all use capital losses to offset investment gains and dividends. Next up is borrowing. Carl Icahn, Elon Musk, and others generated income from assets with loans, but about two-thirds of American homeowners do the same thing by borrowing against their homes with a mortgage. They also deduct their interest payments, not to mention car loans and other consumer debt. Then you have Warren Buffett and Michael Bloomberg. They benefited from the charitable deduction offsetting their incomes with their billions of charity. More than 11 million Americans also use the charitable deduction to support their own philanthropy. That number actually used to be higher before the standard deduction increased. Bottom line here, without a wealth tax, quote, fixing the billionaire tax problem is not likely, guys. Okay, Robert, I have a couple questions for you. One though, on the interest deduction, and you are absolutely right that People can use a mortgage deduction, the, the interest expense, against their income. But there is a limit on that mortgage deduction number. So let's talk about what that number yep. is, and let's talk about the number that can be used. $750,000. Correct. But that's not what we're talking about here when it comes to Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. Right. So what you're saying is we should have a cap on what others can deduct from their interest expense, which is fine. But the, that doesn't really get at the heart of the headline issue uh, here, which is that these are wealthy people who generate little income relative to their wealth and therefore, therefore don't pay any or very little income tax. And so even if you got, let's say, rid of that deduction for billionaires or you stepped it up to, let's say, nothing over a million dollars is allowed in interest expense, that really wouldn't solve the problem because, yes, it's an added benefit of being able to borrow against your stock. But the premise is these are wealthy people who aren't paying taxes on their wealth. And getting rid of that deduction or lowering the bar doesn't but change this goes, that. And then this goes to the issue of whether you want a wealth tax or, as you know, I've, I've talked right. a lot about the idea of simply creating a step up uh, or eliminating rather right. the step up in basis issue uh, at, at death. Um, on the estate tax. I have a view, which I've, I've said aloud many times, uh, a lifetime is, is enough not to pay taxes. And I recognize that there are farms and, and other uh, family businesses that would uh, perhaps get injured uh, by that. But at some point, you have to pay. Yeah. And what's happening now is we've created a system where putting aside the income tax issue that this ProPublica piece is about, but I think it all you know, intersects, is if you never pay, if, there, if none of the wealth is ever taxed, that's an issue. Now, we could argue that a lot of that wealth is being uh, given uh, to philanthropy. Uh, but typically, again, that wealth never taxed either because so much of that is stock that's then given to the charity. Um, and again, no tax is paid. So I think there's a question mark right. about yeah. how to handle all of that. I agree with you 100% on step up and basis. That doesn't change the headline and what shocked people about this article, which is that Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Michael Bloomberg paid zero income taxes for certain years. Step up, which I agreed is a bizarre feature of the tax code that needs to be changed, would not change that. Hey, Robert, let, let, let's just go back to something you mentioned. Uh, you said that charitable giving took a hit. 
when we restructured the way we do things and, and raised the personal deduction that you get, the, the automatic yeah. personal deduction. Um, I, right. I think the world of charity, the charitable world is probably in for some change, but what happened just with that change alone? So what they did, because they raised the standard deduction, they really doubled it to $24,000. A lot of families, it didn't then make sense for them to actually Time. file deducted tax return and therefore declare charitable deduction. So it doesn't mean that they gave less to charity, although they did slightly. It just meant that they could no longer use that deduction because they're using the umbrella overall standard deduction of, of $24,000, which benefited many lower income and middle income households. It just mean, meant that that number of deductors was fell by about a third. Um, and so, so not-for-profits, you're absolutely right, we're screaming about that, and, and they would like that changed. Uh, but it, again, it's hard to do because so many people did benefit from a higher standard deduction. Right. Hey, Robert, one final point, and, and you may disagree with me. The, the reason why the step-up in basis would change this dynamic, at least in my mind, is because the, without that, by eliminating the step-up in basis, it, it effectively eliminates also the incentive to take out loans against your stock because the current view is I, I have so much money, I will just take out loans against the stock effectively till I die, right? Um, if, you, if, if that incentive doesn't exist, you won't do it. You also wouldn't have the deduction that you'd be able to take on an annualized basis. You'd be more likely, frankly, to sell some stock occasionally uh, to create effectively income. So that's, that's I, a little I, bit of the I think a lot logic. of the reason that e Elon Musk, yeah, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos sells a lot. He just sold $6 billion of stock, so let's set him aside. But Elon Musk right. doesn't sell stock because he believes in his company. Optically, that's really important to signal to inv his investors that he's not selling stock. So I don't agree with you, actually, that if you got rid of Step Up, Elon Musk would be selling stock. I think he would worry about that for his heirs. They would right. have to pay a tax. But he is all in on this company and then he maybe. wants to tell and show people right. that. Robert, have a great weekend. You too. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, corporations are people too, are they? CEOs and corporate boards have been taking a stand on issues like diversity, voting rights. Sherilyn Eiffel, president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, joins us next. What is the responsibility of the corporation, which benefits from all of the resources and all of the freedoms that go along with American democracy. There have to be responsibilities that go along with that. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Stand back, you buy. You're listening to Squawk Pod Three, from CNBC. Two, one, cue, please. It's been a year since corporate America pledged to focus on diversity in the wake of George Floyd's death and nationwide calls for racial justice. A recent analysis shows that some progress is being made in boardrooms. According to ISS Corporate Solutions, there's been a near 200% increase in black appointments to boards of directors for S&P 500 companies. 148 companies appointed a black director between July of 2020 and May of this year. That's up, 52%, that's up from 52 in the prior year. Overall numbers, though, still remain low. 
ISS says that just 10% of directors of S&P 500 companies are black. Joining us right now to talk more about what needs to be done is Sherilyn Eiffel, the president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. And Sherilyn, thanks for being here. Um, first off, let's just say, where, where do you think we've come? How, how much progress has been made? Uh, thanks so much. I'm, I'm glad to be with you. The fact that we're having this conversation this morning is evidence that this is now a mainstreamed conversation about corporate responsibility when uh, our democracy is in crisis. And I'm using that language very specifically because I think when we uh, talk about racial justice, we need to center it in a conversation about the strength of American democracy. And uh, last year, as you indicated, there were many corporations who came forward and pledged their commitment. Many gave uh, money to civil rights organizations and other organizations working on these issues. The issue of diversity in the boardroom uh, became more urgent and all of those are important. But then we got to this past spring and as we saw with the voter suppression uh, legislation being promulgated in Georgia and other places, uh, many corporations kind of hit a misstep. They didn't understand the connection between what was happening this spring with the passage of these voter suppression bills and the commitment they made last summer. And I think that's where we need to really explore the conversation about what is the nature of the commitment, what is the responsibility of corporations, what can we expect from them, and what should we expect from them? Sherilyn, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I was going to ask you about just that, because I'll, I'll tell you honestly, it was a lot easier to book people to talk about this a year ago than it is right now. This is an issue that corporations were very, um, very eager to come out and talk about last year. Since then, there's been a lot more pushback. Um, and I think they're feeling the bite, whether it be from um, elected officials or whether it be from their customers. And, and I just wonder whether you think this has staying power or whether this is something that gets kind of pushed onto the back burner at this point. At, at this point, I would say to uh, corporate leaders, uh, you don't have a choice because I do think that the strength of American democracy is very much in peril. Last summer, there were protests in 50 states, multiracial protests after the video of the murder of George Floyd was released. The, the largest mass protest, civil rights protest we have seen in this country ever. And I think every decent person was so moved and repulsed by that video that they felt compelled to move. And of course, it's impossible to sustain perhaps that level of engagement and passion that people felt when they saw that video. But if you're sitting where I sit in the work that I do, you see videos every week of ongoing uh, police violence against unarmed African-Americans. If you sit where I sit, you are in litigation in multiple states, challenging laws that are designed to restrict access to the polls. If you are passing laws that try to keep your fellow citizens from participating in the political process, if you're passing laws after voters stood online for nine hours in Fulton County, Georgia last year, uh, to vote in the primary and you now decide to pass a law that says you can't give water to people standing online to vote that's a democracy problem and corporations should be deeply concerned about anything that threatens the integrity of american democracy and corporations have been you know in the past we should remember there were 400 corporations that signed on to briefs in 2015 encouraging the supreme court to uh to support marriage equality uh, corporations have been involved in issues of climate uh, change and affirmative action, uh, signing on to amicus briefs in the Supreme Court and talking about the importance of diversity in their corporations. So it's not as though corporations have not taken steps. Uh, the question is, what is the reason for the misstep now? 
And when we're in a, a situation of crisis, which I honestly believe this country is in, what is the responsibility of the corporation, which benefits from all of the resources uh, and all of the freedoms that go along with American democracy. There have to be responsibilities that go along with that. And they're not just responsibilities to the shareholders for profits. So what are you asking of corporate leaders right now? Well, in 1886, uh, the Supreme Court kind of issued in a, in a kind of a throwaway line in an opinion called Santa Clara County versus uh, Southern Pacific Ra Railroad uh, that, that corporations were persons for purposes of the 14th Amendment. And that has actually given corporations the ability to act as citizens, to sue as they did in Citizens United and other cases, uh, and to receive all the protections of the Constitution like a natural person would. Well, a natural person like me or like you has responsibilities to American democracy. We too are citizens. And so I think that corporations have to see their role in that way. Of course, they have a responsibility to shareholders, and that's one of their primary uh, interests. But in moments where there are core issues that affect our democracy, corporations have to speak out. They have to make demands of their colleagues and of their clients, and they should be unafraid to do so. I think corporations need an infrastructure within the corporation that is looking at a set of social responsibility issues. It's not limited to DEI. It's not limited to diversity and inclusion. We want to see those numbers of diversity keep ticking up. That's vitally important. It's wonderful to see some of the corporations that are expanding uh, women on their boards and as CEOs, but we actually need a commitment to American democracy and the ability and willingness to speak and not only put their money where their mouth is, but use their voice uh, when necessary to address the crisis that we're currently in. Some corporate leaders will say, look, I, I'm not capable of being able to track every state's voting laws. Um, I don't know the ins and outs about it. They hear pushback from customers, but they also push back from elected officials who say, wait a second, the laws that are being enacted in Georgia or in Texas or elsewhere are less restrictive than in states like New York or Connecticut. Um, as a corporate leader, they probably at some point say, okay, this is a little more complicated or complex than I can really track, and it's not my primary job focus. What do you say to that? I do get that. I, I really do. And it's one of the reasons why I stay engaged, because I think that it's important to have good information. But I think we all know that we are in a moment in this country where the truth itself is constantly under attack. And part of the threat to our democracy is the pretense that there is no truth. Uh, the good thing about being a lawyer and a litigator like me is that I actually get to read the statute. Uh, and the statute says the words that it says. And um, I actually try to be an honest broker in this space and providing information to corporate leaders about what these bills, in fact, do say. So I think at some point you have to decide what you believe is truth or not truth. Uh, I also think there are issues that are not particularly co uh, complicated. I would have loved to have seen every Fortune 500 com company come together with an ad and a statement after January 6th. I, I don't think there's any corporate leader that believes that what we saw on January 6th is consistent with American democracy and consistent with a healthy democracy. I would have hoped that corporations last fall would have issued a collective statement uh, indicating that the peaceful transfer of power is critical to American democracy and to the economic vitality of our democracy. We're not seeing statements collectively, even around things, frankly, that I think of are, are easy, are not complicated. So I, I actually challenge the idea that this is too difficult. Uh, because I actually haven't seen the kind of commitment that I would expect to see around moments when it's very clear we're in crisis and we need to hear from the leadership of this country and the leadership includes business leaders. Sherilyn, thank you for your time and your perspective. It's really great having you. Thank you.
That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Thanks for being here. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This podcast is available for free wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. Subscribe and get it in your feed every day. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.